Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, our text for today is taken from our gospel reading from the 19th chapter of St. Luke with an emphasis on these words. As Jesus was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, amen. Now friends, I never quite thought that I would be complaining about this in a sermon, but I tell you the truth this morning, it's not easy to be a gamer in 2021. For any of you who share technology or gaming as a hobby, then you'll know that the hype which builds up as a new title or gadget is getting ready to be released very rarely, if ever, really matches up to the final product. In fact, as I was gearing up this year to do a little bit of Black Friday shopping, I happened to stumble upon an article that recounted some of the most devastating games that have been released in the last couple of years that came out overhyped and underperformed. Now, my my fellow technology buffs are probably going to remember titles like No Man's Sky, Fallout 76, Mass Effect Andromeda, Watch Dogs Anthem, and most upsettingly to me personally, Final Fantasy XV. Man, that one still hurts. But why do these things keep happening? Well, there's a couple of reasons, according to this uh, interesting article that I read. Uh, First off, developers, the people who are actually making these products, they tend to over-promise what they can actually deliver. They say, this game is going to be the be-all, end-all of technology and entertainment. You buy our product, you're not going to have to buy anything else ever again, well, until the, the next thing that we make comes out, right? Analysts, as a result of hearing these pie-in-the-sky promises, what do they do? They overanalyze. They speculate. They build and build and feed into this machine of hype until consumers imaginations start to run wild. They start to think of all of these great things. Each of them imagine their own perfect product. And then when the big day arrives, well, it's not what anyone expected because everyone was expecting something different. Oftentimes what you end up with is you see a perfectly serviceable product comes out, but it was marred by its own lofty expectations. And friends, as we begin this season of Advent, a time where we are all preparing for the gifts of God shown to us through His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm guessing that each and every one of you seated here today and those of you at home, you all have your own Advent expectations. I want you to think for a moment about some of these expectations. What does the perfect Christmas celebration look like to each and every one of you? Think about the perfect food, the perfect gift, the perfect gathering, the perfect travel weather, the perfect Christmas Eve service, and to top it all off, the perfect person or persons with which to share it. And yet, 
as you think about these things and you crystallize this image in your mind, what happens to it? Well, we know that the perfect food can get overcooked or maybe sidelined by doctor's orders and dietary restrictions. The perfect gift, if you haven't got it already before December even begins, it's probably already out of stock. The perfect family gathering is complicated by feuds and politics and drama of all kinds. The perfect travel weather may turn into a raging blizzard, or if you live here in Bloomington, a sudden tsunami. The perfect Christmas Eve service falls flat when the sermon just isn't quite as engaging. It doesn't hit all the right notes, or heaven forbid, they exclude your favorite Christmas hymn. The perfect people, we know, aren't all that perfect. We argue and bicker over trivial things like who should host, or maybe whether we should get together at all with the lingering threat of COVID-19 still looming large. Expectations have a way of not matching up with reality, don't they? As strange as it seems for us in the Christian church, believe it or not, this was precisely the reaction of Israel to their Messiah when he came among them on Holy Week, our, our reading for today. As he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, where our text picks up, Jesus did so very much fulfilling some Old Testament messianic prophecy, particularly this little chestnut from Zechariah 9, verse 9, where the prophet says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Look, behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and brings salvation. Yet he is humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, dear brothers and sisters, it's important for us here to note that the people of Israel, particularly the priests and the Pharisees who were already seeking to have Jesus killed, they were not illiterate to their own scriptures. The image of Jesus riding in on the colt as we see him do here in Luke 19, that would have resonated with them. Hence their shouts for deliverance, which accompanied him as he rode in. They cried out, blessed is the king, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They knew. They knew who they were looking for. They knew what to expect. They were aware of all the signs that would accompany this great king and how to receive him. But, but they didn't quite receive him the way we would have thought, did they? Well, you see, they, they had the prophet Isaiah. Some of them might have remembered that this coming king would be betrayed, sold, beaten, mocked, maybe even killed to bring them peace. His appearance, well, maybe that was part of the reason. It might have been a little bit of a shock, decidedly unkingly as Jesus appeared, this son of a carpenter from a backwater town by the sea. But here, too, uh, the prophet told them to expect someone whose appearance lacked any form or majesty that we should look at him, or any beauty that we should desire him. Certainly to the eagle-eyed son or daughter of Abraham, they must have looked at this Jesus and they thought, yeah, he's a little bit out there, but 
on paper, he's checking off all the right boxes. So what gives? Why did their shouts for deliverance on Palm Sunday quickly become the craven calls for his crucifixion that we see just five short days later on Good Friday? Well, once again, I would encourage you to turn back to the Old Testament for some solid reasoning here. And this time, instead of the prophet Isaiah, let's look at 2 Samuel, God's promise to King David in particular. After all, as their shouts from Luke 19 would indicate, these people were looking for a king, and not just any king, but the king who would come from the line of David. Here's what the Lord says. Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have went. I have cut off all your enemies from before you and I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of all the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made forever sure before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's a lot. Let's take a moment to summarize. In eight short, or I guess not so short, verses... The Lord promises a son of David David, who will establish a dwelling place for Israel where they will be free from their enemies and disturbed no longer. He also promises an end to war. He promises a permanent house where God will dwell with them. He promises his people will be made great throughout all the earth. He promises an everlasting throne in an everlasting kingdom. Boy. These promises carry with them a lot of hype, don't they? Looking at these verses in the context of Israel's troubled history of persecution and exile and estrangement from their God, you start to see why these people in particular would have had their expectations set on a worldly king, someone who looked a lot like King David, one who followed after him and who, after a brief period of turmoil, would usher in a glorious messianic age that would not end. But the king who came to them had some different news regarding those prophecies 
and what to expect. First, as we have read, the age that the Christ would come to usher in would be the end of all ages. The time before his eternal kingdom where wars, rumors of wars, famine, earthquakes, pestilence, and persecution of all kinds would persist as we have seen in his end times teaching. Secondly, that those who remain faithful, those who persist in following him throughout all of these troubles and turmoils, well, they probably should not expect to win any popularity contests as they do so. Yes, he was going to make their name great in all the earth, but they would also be despised and rejected for his name's sake. Thirdly, concerning that great dwelling place that the Lord had promised, well, we know from experience, don't we, that the people had their sights set on a great worldly temple. Think of his own disciples and how they lauded and magnified the great stones and the great buildings of the temple. Well, that was starting to look a lot less like the great temple, which Jesus himself predicted would come crumbling down in the next few years, and it was starting to look a lot more like what we have today, a more intimate indwelling of God and man through the body and blood of his Son. So for Israel, the expectations and the reality of their Messiah were not quite meshing in the way that they had hoped. So what happened? Was the problem with God? Well, no, of course not. As the week wore on, and as they came to Good Friday, it turned out that it would be the people of Israel themselves who would betray and murder their king, largely because he wasn't meeting their hype. But friends, what they weren't seeing was that the Lord had something else, something greater in mind than mere worldly thrones or kingdoms. The king that comes would suffer and die for the sins of man and so establish his eternal kingdom, not through mighty conquest, not through riding his war horse into victory, but through humility, mounted on a donkey, through acts of service and charity towards sinners like you and me who betrayed and rejected him. Israel saw this, and they weren't having it. And so, dear friends, I invite you this morning, put aside those lofty expectations of the perfect Christmas celebration for a moment, and think about this as we enter in this first Sunday of Advent. What are your expectations for your coming King during this season. There's certainly still a lot of hype that surrounds this Jesus of Nazareth, isn't there? Well, for starters, peace on earth and goodwill towards men, right? That's what the the Christmas pageant says. And, And yet, at the same time, we see Jesus himself saying, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. What about the fellowship here in the sanctuary? That's not going anywhere, right? Making good friends who share this Christian faith, being a good example of the faith to those outside of the church who see your good works and come to love you all the more for them. 
This is true, but here again, Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Well, well, then certainly the Lord must have some kind of earthly reward that we can point at, or maybe some kind of karmic balance which is credited to faithful Christians for their upright living. Uh, but again, here Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on heaven where, or treasures on earth <laughs> where moth and rust destroy. He also reminds us that we cannot serve both God and mammon, so we probably shouldn't count on that. Yes, it seems that the king who comes to us this day may not quite be what our sinful and worldly expectations predict. But friends, I tell you, just like when he came the first time, he comes and he is so much more than we expect. For this Jesus who comes to us this day, in this season of Advent, he is what the law and the the prophets forecasted. He is every inch the fulfillment of God's promises. He is the branch of Jesse's tree by whom we are given not a worldly throne, not an earthly kingdom, but a seat in the heavenly banquet hall, in the marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom without end. This king, he comes to us bearing no treasure of money or goods with which we might trade or barter to satisfy our fleshly appetites. No, he comes to us bearing the very treasures of heaven. He comes to us with water and the word. He washes us clean of our sin. He gives us a new identity in him. He comes to us to satisfy our longing and appetites with his very body and blood given and shed for us to eat and drink for the full remission of our sins. This king, he comes not with peace as the world gives, but he comes with his peace that passes all understanding. He comes with the hope of the resurrection and the knowledge of our salvation. And so I invite you, dear saints of the Lord, this Advent season, rejoice. Herald once more the King who comes to save you. Ring out your cries of Hosanna, for it is this Christ alone who is your deliverance. Hear again his most blessed name and believe in Jesus Christ your Lord. For I promise you, The hype is real. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in the same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.